Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Good morning. It is Monday, November 21st, and this is Blake Wilson, Lifeline's Vice President of Operations. And today we are going to continue our study in the book of Genesis. Again, thank you guys for persevering with us. We're all the way to chapter 38 at this point, looking at 38, 39, and 40 today. Um, Not sure that we will get through all of it because it is a lot to cover, but starting out in chapter 38, we really just see an intermission in the book of Genesis at this point. We have been studying and, and spent a lot of time recently on the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And now we're moving on into Jacob's son, Joseph, and really looking at him as, as, as there's much written about the life of Joseph and his devotion to God in the book of Genesis. But last week, we left off really at Joseph being sold into slavery and he is um, sold to the Ishmaelites. And then eventually we'll learn that he is sold to the Egyptians. So this child, this beloved son, who was um, Jacob's prized possession, was sold, told the father that told Jacob that he was killed by a wild animal and his brothers had this big scheme to get rid of him and he was sold into slavery. But what we see in chapter 38 is really just an intermission. And it studies the life of Judah, Joseph's brother. And then in chapter 39, it picks back up again, looking at the life of Joseph. So it is a unique, um, if you follow the scriptures, it is a very unique intermission. But I think, as as we know, all scripture is written, God breathed, and is there for a reason. And much of what we can see in chapter 38 stems around sexual sin. And I and I, I know that the Lord put this in here because it is so prevalent. It's been prevalent um, in our world since the beginning, and it, conti- and it continues to be. And chapter 38 is really written about Judah, Joseph's brother, taking things into his own hands. And it really starts in the very beginning of him walking away from what he knew he should do. You know, I think in in our own lives, we know right from wrong. We know what the Lord has called us to do. We know um, we, we know that he has called us to stay faithful, to stay close to him, to abide by the word. But often we stray, even as believers, we will continue to stray. We'll continue to follow our own pursuits and what we feel um, we would like to do. And you see this happen in the life of Judah. You see him step aside from what he knew he should be doing. We see him go and move to a land um, that he was forbidden to go to. We see him make poor decisions and intermarry with people that he shouldn't have married. And it is really just the beginning of a very nasty, sin-ridden chapter that all stems from a simple mistake, and that is from Judah turning aside from his family, walking and journeying into um, a different territory and getting wrapped up in sin. And and, and we're not going to have time to read all of this verse for verse, but just the first few verses of this chapter say this in 38, 
It happened at this time that Judah went down with his brothers and he turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There, Judah saw a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and he went into her and she conceived and bore a son and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son and she called his name Onan and yet again she bore a son and she called him Shelah. And then Judah was in Chezib when she bore him. What you see in these first five verses, and, and really the beginning of a very difficult chapter, um, is that he left his brothers. He went down away from his brothers to a different land. He began to intermarry um, into a... Uh, to a culture that was was different from his. We see him make poor decisions um, as he separates from his family. He begins to marry outside of his community of faith. And his children will continue throughout chapter 38 with this family history of dysfunction and, and this disrespect for the law. And over and over again, we see son after son be put to death in this chapter because they are not doing what the Lord had called them to do. Now, I'm not I'm not here to justify what happens in chapter 38. It is so foreign. It's so different from anything that is culturally acceptable now. But during this season in Genesis, this was culturally accepted. This was the expectation that. Um, you know, if if a man were to die, his family, his wife were really given to his brother. And it was the expectation for the brother to continue the family lineage, to continue um, the, the growth of that family line through um, marrying uh, what would be a sister-in-law. So it was a responsibility of a brother to take on this, this um, expectation. So you see that Judah left and he, he, he intermarried. He got um, engaged with a community that was outside of, of his faith. And this dysfunction happened. Well, then we will see here that his sons um, begin to pass away. So let's pick this up at, at verse 6. It says, Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and his name was, or and her name was Tamar. So you've, you've got now, now he married, keep this like, he married outside of his community of faith. Then you see now his sons following his father's footsteps, and they marry outside of the community of faith. So um, you see Ur, his firstborn, marries Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. So Ur just, Ur just dies. And then Judah said to Onan, this is his other son. He said, go into your sister-in-law and perform your duty as a brother-in-law and raise up her offspring for your brother. So he tells, um, he tells Onan, it's his responsibility to take charge of this family, to support and to care for um, 
tomorrow. And he says, no way, I'm not doing it. And the Lord ends up taking him out and he passes. Now there's one more son left in this story. Um, and it's a young boy. There must've been a pretty large age gap in this passage of scripture. Um, but he wasn't grown up, so he could not take on the responsibility for Tamar. So Judah says, just wait till he grows up. And then, um, and then I will give him to you and you will care. But in the meantime, I need you to go spend the time with your father. Just go back home because you are now, um, you now need support and it's not support that I can give you. So go back home to your father. So she did this. Um, and really just with the expectation that soon, um, Judah's youngest son, Shelah, would be able to care for her in the future. Well, Judah had other plans and didn't follow through with his word. And this is where you see in, in the remaining verses of chapter 12, I'm sorry, of thir- uh, chapter 38, verses 12 through 19, of just this twisted sexual sin that happens um, and how Judah's initial sin to, to fall short, to marry outside the community of faith, just begins to take root in step after step after step. It gets, it gets worse and worse and worse. And you see, um, you, see, ta- you see Tamar take things into her own hands. And at the end of chapter 38, you see her um, ex- begin to expect a child from her father-in-law, which I know is very difficult to comprehend. But again, in this culture, um, it was completely different. She took things into her own hand for the family lineage and, and decided to scheme on her father-in-law um, to be able to conceive a child from him, which she does. And at the end of the day, the Lord did not find her guilty because this was the Lord's plan. It was the expectation during this, this biblical time for the brother-in-law to take on the responsibility of the widow, which didn't happen. So, so Tamar found herself desolate, isolated with her fought with her, with her dad. And she takes things into her own hands. And she, um, she ends up conceiving a child from Judah himself because Judah would not give her any of his sons. So you see this, this story, um, take shape and become twisted. And then it goes back into chapter 39. It just stops. It tells you that she has twins and then it stops and then it picks up again with Joseph. Well, what we see different with Joseph in chapter 39 is the way that he handled the temptation was completely different from Judah. So we know that Judah separated himself from his family. He marries outside of the community of faith he ends up um, bearing a child to his daughter-in-law. It's disrespect for the law. I mean, it is just an absolute mess. But remember Joseph? Joseph was a man, was a boy rather, in, in chapter 37, who was sold into slavery, who the hand of the Lord was on at such a young age. And the Lord protected him. Even though he was sold into slavery, the Lord's hand was upon him. And we'll see in chapter 38 that he was faithful in the midst of it all. The hand of the Lord was on this man. He was faithful in all situations, even in sexual temptation, which we'll see is really at the core of this chapter. But it led him to prison 
but yet the Lord even blessed him while he was in prison. And I think it's a good truth, even walking into chapter 39, that the hand of the Lord um, is upon those he, he loves. And as a follower of Christ, when those seasons, when we feel abandoned, we feel neglected, we feel um, just downtrodden, that we can have hope and we can have faith and know that the Lord is good and the Lord is working in all circumstances. So in chapter in chapter 39, you can see that Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard who was an Egyptian, had brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. And the Lord, listen to chapter, or verse number two, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. So he was sold into slavery, bought by the uh, brought brought down to Egypt, and then Potiphar bought him. So Potiphar is his master. Potiphar is going to be his guide, and really, what happens is Joseph is blessed even in this. His master saw that the Lord was with him, so it was evident to Potiphar in verse three that the hand of God was upon Joseph. The Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and he put him in charge of all that he had. And from the time that he made him overseer of the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and the field. So everything that he touched was blessed. And this was because of God's faithfulness, God's covenant. Think back, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I will bless you and your family and your descendants, generation after generation after generation. We see Joseph, the son of Jacob, still there. And the promise of God is still true. Through it all, it's true. So his faith was tested. His integrity is going to be put to the test after the Lord has brought him out of um, out of this this slavery, elevated him to be head over the house of his master Potiphar, and it says he was left in charge, and and Potiphar said it didn't even concern him about anything but the food he ate. So he just had really stepped out. Joseph was running the show. He was leading this household. It says now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, the master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. Lie with me, she said, but he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern with anything in this house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except for you, because you are his wife. How then can I... In great wickedness, sin against God. She spoke to Joseph each day, but he wouldn't listen to her. So she continues just to entice him, but he says no. And he has a great perspective on things. How could I do this against my God? How could I do this against the God who's protected me and blessed me? I was sold into slavery. I was, I was, I was, I was cast into, um, I was cast into a well. Um, from my family. And you can, I mean, think about how easy it would be to be angry and upset at God because of what happened. 
But Joseph persevered, he stayed strong, and he knew that the Lord was with him. And he tells Potiphar's wife, how could I betray how could I betray my master? How could I betray your husband who has done so much for me? And how, even beyond that, how could I betray the Lord? How could I do something so wicked when he has blessed me? He has protected me throughout, um, throughout this journey, but she just continued to, to pursue him. But his response was completely different. She began to pursue him during verses 11, 12, 13, 14. Um, and she has this scheme and ultimately she pursues him to the point where he just, he just runs. It says that he fled out of the house in chapter 12. He fled so fast that he left his jacket. So then she lies to her husband and she has this great scheme of just, uh, he, he tried, um, he, he tried to pursue me. He tried to pursue me. She twisted her words and she was the one after Joseph, but she lies to her husband and plots against Joseph and her, her husband in anger throws him into prison. But I think this is what's interesting that even though in prison, the Lord showed his love, listen at what happens in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of prison. So this guy who was lied against and thrown in prison is now finding favor in the sight of the Lord, even though he's in prison. It says the keeper in verse 22, the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were there in prison and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Isn't that interesting that it's almost the exact same verbiage that you see in the latter part of this chapter as to the first part of this chapter? Potiphar concerned himself with nothing of the house other than what he wanted to eat because he trusted Joseph so much. He then threw Joseph in prison and look what the prison guard says. He didn't really concern himself with anything that was done there because he knew that Joseph was going to do it right because the Lord was with him and whatever he touched, the Lord blessed. Guys, the Lord's love and the Lord's protection isn't contingent upon circumstance or location. Our God loves us through it all. In those moments, in those mountaintop moments, when we feel things are great and we feel um, like we're on top of the world, he loves us. But he also loves us in those seasons where we're in the pit and we're in the valley and we feel exhausted and we can't take another breath. The Lord still loves us and his hand is upon us. And we can learn so much from this in the life of Joseph that no matter what happens, it's not circumstantial. The Lord loves us. And through trials, through temptations, through tribulations, God is a true hero. It's easy to look at Joseph and say, he did it. This was all because of his faithfulness, guys. But God is a true hero of this story and of this chapter. God is working through Joseph's circumstances to accomplish his purpose. He put this... He put this test and this trial to see how Joseph was going to respond. But at the end, it was all um, it was all for God to accomplish his purpose. It was for God just to display his power and just saying, you know what? You can put Joseph in, in a 
in a well and sell him into slavery. You can put him in prison and take away um, his integrity, take away his character by lying about him. But there's nothing you can do to stop me, his God. He will accomplish his purpose through all things. And this is really what we see as a theme in chapters 38 and 39, is that God is in it all. Through every circumstance, God is faithful. He is accomplishing his purpose, just like he promised with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and now Joseph. His covenant is true. His faithfulness is true. And he remains faithful. So let us find rest in that today and this week as we serve him. When circumstances don't go our our way or things are different from what we expect them to be, God is faithful through it all. And he is working in and through us to fulfill his, his, his ultimate purpose in our lives. Today, we're going to close at our time just praying for our pregnancy counselors. Um, these ladies on our staff just do so much work to invest in the lives of so many women across the nation. So I just want to pray for them as, as they serve, not only in their face-to-face interactions, but also as they just minister to so many, even at partnership ministries like pregnancy resource centers or even hospitals. May the gospel just be evident as they serve these moms. Let's just pray for our team as we go today. God, thank you so much for our pregnancy counselors. Lord, thank you for their devotion to serve these women with such love and compassion in the in the pits. Lord, in, in a season that things just seem uh, un- unable to, to be overcome. But God, they, they get in the muck and then they get in the mire. So Lord, we just pray for your hand to be on them this week. Lord, we pray that they find their dependence in you. Um, Lord, we pray that you strengthen them in their spiritual lives as they walk. Lord, give them the time just to grow rich and deep in your word. And that just may overflow with gospel witness to their clients. God, we pray for our, our team. Um, Lord, even as a network in these, in these pregnancy resource centers and hospitals, would give them opportunity for meaningful gospel partnerships and conversations all across the country. God, we pray that you, um, Lord, just pour your favor over their lives. Um, Lord, as they uh, have conversations with these medical professionals, Lord, so such a season um, of controversy when it comes to what life is. But Lord, may your love just flow out of their mouths as they talk to these medical professionals and these communities that we work in. And God, we just pray that you give them wisdom as they navigate difficult conversations and hard situations um, with clients that they are working with, God. May you just give them genuine relationships with these clients, Lord, with an opportunity to lead them into gospel conversations where they can find the true hope that is only in So God, we pray that you work in and through our team this week. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.